Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Unveiling. My name is Lee Brown. Today we're going to talk about what I believe is uh, the greatest dilemma in the American church. Let's go. All right, all right. Well, thanks for hanging out uh, with me today. I'm super excited to talk about this. Um, it's been on my heart for a little while, and um, I'm just going to kind of dive into it. And um, I'm sure I'm not going to touch all the bases, but um, I think I'm going to give a, a good, good overview to my point, and maybe it will stimulate some further conversation. Um, I believe this to be, if not the greatest, among the greatest uh, dilemmas in the body of, of those who consider themselves followers of Jesus um, in, uh, in the West. And I say that, I say followers of Jesus um, intentionally. Uh, notice I'm not saying Christians or believers. Um, I'm saying followers of Jesus because in the day and age that we live, the word Christian, the word believer, and the word follower of Jesus, they all mean different things, unfortunately. They should all mean the same thing, but they all mean different things. Uh, If I say I'm a Christian, well, goodness gracious, that could mean a whole spectrum of things. Have you ever met a Christian who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they don't live like it. Have you ever met a Christian who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, and it's almost just like, I want to be perceived as a Christian sort of thing, but, I mean, everybody knows that they don't have the slightest interest in laying down their life and following Jesus. Um, It's kind of the American way to be a Christian. Maybe their mom or dad or grandma or grandpa was a Christian, and so um, somewhere deep inside, they they believe that's the right path, but it's not for them. So who knows what Christian really means when someone identifies as a Christian. Believer, this is a great problem too. We're moving in the right direction, but it's still not the goal that Jesus had when he was on the earth. If I say I'm a believer today, um, all that really means to me is that I've decided in my brain that I believe something to be true. Now, that's very important. This is the first step of following Jesus is to believe in faith that he is who he says he is. He is who the entire Old Testament speaks of and foretells. To believe that in your head to be true, that's a critical step. But we have a lot of people today who think that's the finish line. And um, really, that's that's really the starting line is believing. And um, believing that Jesus is who he says he is ought to lead us to become followers of Jesus. Now, the followers of Jesus are the ones who, they're the ones who lay down their life and they practice, they practice 
daily dying to themselves. They practice um, living the way Jesus taught us to live, not just morally. That's big. That's a big deal. But it's there's more than that. There's a practical way of living that Jesus taught. And the followers of Jesus truly want to think and live like their teacher, Jesus. The believers, they kind of stop thinking their passport to heaven has been stamped if they just believe, you know, because John 3.16 has really done a number on us in the West um, to where we feel like when we hear the word, whoever believes in him, we hear that, and in the West, in our philosophical culture that started back with, you know, Socrates, Aristotle, all those guys, and uh, has carried on today, believes is a head term. It's a, I believe to be true in my head. Well, when that was written, that's not really the point of that message. The believing part was 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 never about thought. It was about action. It was about if you believe something, you live in a way that proves you believe something. And it was about the way you live. And um, as a believer, you the way you live ought to prove you believe. And so unfortunately, many, many uh, believers, Christians in the West... Um, it's not the case. So I want to clearly define those three, three things before moving forward because I believe it's important. Now, moving into what I believe is the great dilemma of the American uh, church. We have this message Every week, there's a new message from pastors in pulpits all over the country, millions. And depending on what church you're at and what pastor you're under will depend on what kind of message you get. We have a wide spectrum of message styles, whether it's really allegorical, metaphoric, taking the scripture and applying it to yourself and full of passion and emotion and and um, and that's that. And then there's the whole style of just a deep, dense Bible study and not really any practical and it's kind of boring to a lot of people and way over their head, frankly. And then you have the three bullet points and a story full of practicalities and almost like a TED talk on a Sunday morning. And you just have a wide range of different types of messages. And, um, and within each message, you will inevitably have phrases like this, love conquers all or nothing matters more than love, or um, Jesus, we, the, pr- the prime m- message of Jesus is that we learn to love. 
And here's where the dilemma begins. When I say to you, love wins, what does that mean to you? When I say to you, love your enemy, what does that look like? When I say, love the person, hate the sin, what does that mean? What does that look like? Tangibly expressed and lived out, what does it look like? See, we live in this day and age where a pastor can stand up on a platform and say a phrase such as, we must learn to love, or love conquers all, and get an, e, get an eruption of affirmation, amens, hand claps, that's good, tweets, whatever, from a wide range of people, all the way from someone sitting in the room who is um, in a lifestyle of sin to someone in the room who's uh, really dedicated in trying to follow Jesus and his word. Why is that? Because in the American church, we do not, A, define love, B, we do not have what I call communal practice or accountability. So for example, on a Sunday morning, you may go to a church and that church, there's a really great message. And maybe, maybe your pastor is amazing. Maybe your pastor preaches um, in context. He doesn't pull the word of God out of context and just create some emotional, passionate message that um, really doesn't get to the heart of the word. Maybe your pastor really teaches true to the word. Maybe he, maybe it's fantastic, incredible, no, no flaws whatsoever, no errors whatsoever. There's still a problem. You have no community, assuming that's your experience of Christian community is the Sunday morning service, you still have no community that holds you accountable to living out what your pastor just said through the week. You may never become more like Christ because you sat in that room and listened to your pastor preach the truth. That is the problem. So when I say love wins, we can have pastors literally this is scary, but we have pastors who literally can stay true to the word of God, technically, and get the applause of people far from God and near to God at the same time. Well, there's a problem with that because you're either staying true to the word of God and it's going to, it's going to be offensive. And, and, I, and I say that like this, it's going to be offensive to those in the dark. And, and I'll use an analogy of, of what that means. Like, have you ever woken up, like slept all night and 
when I was a little kid, um, my, my mom and dad, the way they would wake me up, they would offend me greatly because I'm comfortable in my sleep. It's dark. It's, I'm cozy. And all of a sudden, they turned the light on. And it was so offensive. It was just like obtrusive to my eyes. In the same way, when you present the truth of the gospel to uh, non, non-believers or those who um, even claim Jesus is God but don't want to live like it, it's offensive. It's kind of like shining a light in someone's comfortable, cozy, dark place. And so when you're saying love conquers all, love wins, and you're, and you're, and you're getting the applause of people who are contorting what love is, see, I can say love wins to a room of 100 people, or I can say go out and love your neighbor, and that will look very differently to each individual person because to the one who's following Jesus, they understand that that means I have to die to myself. Love requires death to myself. It means I can't get an attitude. I can't get offended, even though I have the right to in different situations or circumstances, while the other person sitting right next to them leaves the church, drives out, pulls onto the road, someone pulls out in front of them, and they are absolutely ticked off and cuss under the breath and flick the person off or whatever. And yet they don't feel guilty. They feel like I had the right to do that. Wouldn't you? I mean, isn't that normal to to kind of get upset and frustrated at that? That's kind of where they leave it. And while the answer to that is absolutely yes, because you're human, the whole message of Jesus is the human in you has to die. That is love. Love your wife as Christ loved the bride, giving up his life for her. Love requires that the human nature in you dies. And and so we're kind of breaking down what love is a little bit in this, but the dilemma in the American pulpit is that one, we don't define love. We don't define a lot of things. I'm just using love as an example. A lot of times in the American pulpit, we stay... Uh, true to God's word in a very vague way that mm, offends the least amount of people as possible. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to offend anybody. Like, um, that's not the goal. The goal is not to offend anybody ever. The goal is to um, communicate in such a way that even those far from Christ are compelled to come near to Christ and follow him and lay down their life to live for him. That's the goal. But the truth is that there are times when hearts are hardened and the truth is presented to them that it will be offensive. And that's not the goal. That's never the desire. It always breaks my heart when that's the case. But when there's a deliberate choice to preach in such a way as to stay true to the Word of God by being vague so that people can take your truth and interpret it for themselves, thus not getting offended, there's a major problem with that. A major problem with that. Because I can say a truth that's vague, love your neighbor as yourself. Great, that's, that's so true. It's, it's biblical. But the problem with that is, is I've let every person under the sound of my voice define what that looks like for themselves. And it's gonna look a whole bunch of different ways to every person and not, I haven't taught the way Jesus taught that that should look. 
that's where it gets offensive. That's where people turn away is when you begin to define the nitty gritty details of, in this example, what love is. And like I said, don't get hung up on this one example of love. There's many other ways and examples that this um, point could be illustrated with. But love is the one near to my heart right now. So this is the great dilemma. Okay. The second part of that is the, the, the communal practice and the communal accountability. Many churches are doing this small group thing. They have been for the last decade or two. And that's great. And I, I think that um, it's needed. I, I've never really seen a church get them to work. Um, personally, they've seen to every church I've been a part of, and, and I've, I've been to a lot of churches around the country, um, just kind of observing and learning and watching. And, and I've never seen a church where they have their city groups or whatever groups they call them. Um, are really effective. That's not to say they're not out there. I'm absolutely sure there's churches out there that are killing it, but um, the majority are not. But um, I think that was kind of the purpose of a lot of churches is to create a community where you practice and you're held accountable together. Um, Because as I mentioned earlier, even if I'm a pastor who doesn't just stop at love your neighbor as yourself, but I actually teach you the practical nitty-gritty details of how you have to die to yourself and live differently, what that means, you, you, have no, you have no one to practice with, and then you have no one to hold you accountable. It's kind of like if you had a, um, a workout diet regimen and someone taught you, you know, here's what you need to do for your, your goals, both in the gym and... Um, your diet and you went and left and you only talked to that person once a week and you didn't even get to have a conversation with that with your coach like it was it was more of you came and sat and he was talking to a room full of people um who wasn't addressing your context or your goals he was just kind of addressing the general laws of dieting and working out and you went and listened to him once a week and you hoped he hit on something that was applicable to you and he did, you know, you know, there's great stuff and every time, every time he spoke, but then you left there and you tried to work out and eat correctly by yourself. Well, you can do it, um, but it's so much easier when you're doing it with a buddy, right? It's so much easier when you have one or two people you're in the gym with two or three times a week, you're building great friendships, you eat together, you hold each other accountable, and you're just, you're practicing these disciplines together, and it's the same way when you're practicing the disciplines of following Jesus and, and the, th- the lessons he teaches us. It's the same way. You don't want to just come to a, a seminar or a lecture every week where someone's not directly speaking to your context of life, um, even though what they're saying applies to your life in some way. You want to take that and learn from it, and then you want to go practice and apply it. And it's so much easier and so much more fun when you're doing the journey with people um, who you love and who can hold you accountable. Because if you leave that message where he says, love your neighbor as yourself or love your enemy, and you drive out and 
and someone's a jerk to you or whatever, and uh, you have no reason to practice or be accountable to let your human nature die and love that person selflessly, not responding how you have the right to respond, but rather responding with kindness in that instance. You have no accountability. You're not, there's, you have no reason. I mean, it's just going to be so easy for you to let your human nature come out. And, um, and so communal practice, communal accountability, um, we don't seem to have that very much in the American church. We come to church on Sunday, hear a great message. Hopefully you're hearing a great message at your church. If not, there's great messages messages on YouTube. Maybe that's where you're at. I, I think that's great, but you need the community aspect. So anyway, I don't know if that's made sense to you at all today, um, but that's been something near and dear to my heart. We, we have to do better at... Um, practicing and as teachers and communicators of God's word we have to we have to start teaching what Jesus taught in a very nitty-gritty practical way we can't leave it so vague that man when I hear it pastors they have Muslims and atheists coming to their church regularly uh, and not being offended by the message. Uh, something isn't right there. <laughs> Be, like, we have to start preaching messages that cause people to be offended when they don't line up with their way of life because Jesus calls us to a higher, healthier way of living. And uh, it's when people don't want to change the way they live and they're comfortable in their lifestyle. That's when the offense happens, not at the idea of the actual truth. It's when people are living contrary to the way Jesus says and they don't want to change that. Um, That's when the offense happens. But we have to start teaching what Jesus taught and not remaining vague. When I say the word love, that is vague. If you're out there, go further. Start defining love. Start being detailed when, when we're teaching and studying the word of God. Even when we study the word of God and we see scriptures that talk about love, don't just stop at like this idea of love. We know that the word love to us is completely different than the word love to the first century audience of, of the Bible, mainly because we have one word for love and they had like four or five. So we say love and it could mean a spectrum of things. So when we read that word love, we don't really know what they're meaning. So we have to study and we have to go deeper and, and find out how, how should we actually live to follow Jesus. And then we need to do it. We need to apply it. I want to end us off with this verse in Romans thirteen ten. If you're wondering what love is or what love looks like, here's a great verse. Romans thirteen ten. This might be the CSB. Don't quote me on that. 
I, I don't know. I don't really think it matters, but love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, the entire law, the 600 plus laws that were given down to Moses, um, they are each in place to avoid one human harming another or doing wrong to another. And what Romans 13 is saying, Paul's saying here is love is the, is the absence of doing wrong to another person. When you are wronged, as a human being, it makes sense and you have every right to react. But as a follower of Jesus, you're called to crucify the human in you. And even when you're wronged, you're, you're called to do no, no wrong to someone else. That's emotionally. You don't want to wrong someone emotionally, physically, materially. Anyway, in any, any form or manner. And it's not just humans. It's all of creation, by the way. All of creation. I won't even get into that because we are so far, <laughs> so far from um, stewarding all of creation with, with um, integrity and, and doing that from a place of love. But love does no wrong to a neighbor. That, that is a really great verse that paints a picture of what love look like, looks like. Another um, illustration, I always, I always come to this. If I had to define the word love for us today, I could do it in two words. Selfless humility. Selfless humility. If you're acting out of selfishness and you're not acting out of humility, you're probably not loving. And that's just the reality of it. So if you want to ask yourself, if you want to really examine how well you've learned to love your neighbor, examine how many times you act from a place of selfless humility. Examine how many times you don't act from a place of selfless humility. When you get angry, when you get upset, when you um, don't want to be generous and give of money that you have to someone in need or you... It's, it's an inconvenience to you to get up in the middle of the night and, and help someone in need or whatever it is. I mean, there's so many ways. Like someone needs help and we say no because it's a sacrifice. Well, that was selfishness. And, um, and Jesus calls us to a life of selfless humility. We can see it on the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, there is no greater act of selfless humility than that, to be stripped naked and killed, be, brutin, sorry, <laughs> brutally beaten for the sake of all humanity. I mean, there's, there's no other act of selfless humility quite like that. What greater love is this than for one to give up his life for his friends? What greater love, what greater act of selfless humility 
And anytime you see the word love in the Bible, just replace it with selfless humility and reread the scripture. So and that in this instance, Romans 13.10 says, selfless humility does no wrong to a neighbor. Selfless humility, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. You know, men, love your wives. Men, act selfless and humble in every way towards your wife, even as Christ loved the bride and gave his life up for her. You see that? That word love and Christ's death, they come up together a lot in Scripture. Love and death, love and death, love and death. They're synonymous. Selfless humility. That's the message the American church needs. That's the message the American church needs. We have to go further than just saying love from the pulpits. What is love? What does it look like? Because our country needs it. The world needs it. But it will never get a body of people who practice love it doesn't just happen we have to practice it it's a discipline we're going to fail over and over and over again but it's getting back up and trying and trying again the world needs it the world needs it so i don't know if you want to call this a rant or a podcast i'm kind of speaking from my heart today i hope that's okay and i hope it's been uh i hope it's added value to you today and I hope you'll share it. I hope you'll share it with someone. Um, I really believe this message needs to take off like wildfire. And um, so I hope, I hope maybe you'll share it with somebody. And together we can, we can move forward in the practice of following Jesus. So I love you guys very, very much. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Until next time, God bless.